thank you, Jesus, and we thank you, God, and I um, talk on behalf of everyone here who's experienced that love. May you open our hearts even more deeply today to just realize that you paid such a huge price and that you were, you never gave up and uh, that we could be in your family, we could know you. And, I, and now I want to pray for everyone in the room who's never said yes to you, Jesus. That those words that we sang there are for them. That God is pursuing, he's chasing, he's coming after, he's fighting for, that he's lighting up darkness. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He's not coming because he's mad. It's because he has this relentless love. And he wants you to experience that. And it'd be our desire that you would experience that, that you would say yes to him. Whether you're here, you're watching online, that this would be the day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. And even though I love weather, I'm not in charge of the weather. So don't blame me, okay, for your wet backs and legs and feet this morning. Uh, pretty crazy, right? Coming here, like, uh, what, who's, who expected that to happen this morning and just to be here? So I'm just glad that you're here. And so uh, this is, as was said earlier, this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And tomorrow's the day that is actually uh, memorialized and celebrated uh, his life. But we want to talk a little bit about that today. And uh, I'm just so glad that you're here with us. So I just want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing. I was talking to a friend on the phone this week, and I was telling him about our series and what's going on, what's going on in the life of our church. And I said, well, we're doing this series right now. It's called Why We Do That. And he goes, why do you do that? <laughs> what's that about? And I said, well, here's what it's about. You know, it's, it's talked about um, that when it comes to New Year's and New Year's resolutions and those kinds of things, that um, most New Year's resolutions talk about I'm going to do more in an already full life. So more in an already full life. I'm going to you know, pack in more, and you know, I'm going to get stressed. And then I'm going to do it with the resources I have. And so I'm going to do it in my own power. And so that's why New Year's resolutions don't work. And that's why we fail at those. And that's why many of you are anti-New Year's resolution people. You already told me that. I got it. And I said, but what happens, I said to him, is I said, I think in the church what happens is, is that we take that principle, and so we come to the start of the year, or we say, here's how we know that people can grow, or here's how we can help people to take next steps, and we package it in a way that's very similar to New Year's resolutions. If you'll read your Bible more, if you'll serve more, if you'll give more, if you'll relate more, if you'll more, 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 right? And then we make it seem like that you're the one that has to muster up the energy and power to do it. And I said, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to repackage that and reframe that for us. And um, to, to the point of this, that what we want to do is we want to show you opportunities. These are opportunities that if you engage in, will lead you into a deeper intimacy with God and Jesus and others. It's not doing more on your power, but it's engaging with God and his principles and his power to be able to then have intimacy with him and others. And my friend said, he said, oh, I wish you had a church in Irvine. That's where I would go, as we were talking on the phone, because it was so refreshing to him to hear that a church could be focused on those kinds of things and those, <clears throat> those principles. So that's where we're going. That's what we've been doing. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to grab your message notes. 
They look like this. They're going to be helpful for you today, and they'll be able to take some notes and write some things down. If you have your Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, I just want to encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. So there's some in the bookshelves. Take it. It's our gift to you. Uh, and just love it. You have your Bible open while you're here uh, to be able to follow along. I want to begin with our theme verse right at the top of the notes. Uh, and it says this in 2 Peter 1. It says, by his divine power. So there you go. Whose power? My power? No, his power. By his what power? Divine power. He's God. God has given us everything. You might underline that and because some of us think that God just gives us enough for the moment. And so, But it's everything we need for living a godly life. Now, it doesn't say, say everything we want, right? Everything we need for giving, living a godly life. So he knows what we need to be able to live the life he's called us to, and so he gives us that. And he says this, we've received all of this by coming to know him. So underline that. That's the idea of the series, is that I walk with him, I engage with him, and he empowers me, and then I get to know him and know him intimately, the one who's called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. So what we're trying to do in this series is we're saying, hey, here's what we do. Here's what we do in these four walls, and this is what we invite you to engage in in the six days of the week that you're not at church. Why do we do these things? It's so that we can deepen our intimacy with God and others. We can learn to experience his power and his love. And we do these things because they lead us into that as an opportunity. I'm going to talk more about that in just a little bit, that it's not a badge that we wear. So here's the key idea. It says this, we do what we do so that we become who God has made us to be. We do what we do. So that we become who God has made us to be. Now, I just who, who's God made us to be? He's made us to be like Jesus. And so we do what we do because naturally we're not like Jesus. And we need help. And we need his heavenly sandpaper working on us to help us to become more and more like Jesus. So we can be who God made us to to be. And as we're more like him, guess what? We're going to have more intimacy with him. We're going to have more fulfillment. We're going to have the things that we really, the our heart's desires, the things that we want. Okay, so that's just a setup. That's what the series is about. Now, as I said, it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And I just going to kind of help us to think about that a little bit by watching this video. And it's a portion of his famous, I have a dream speech. Let's watch. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the 
people in justice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Wow. Well, I don't know what you think when you listen to him right there. I moved, I did a lot of reading about the, uh, the day before and the day of the speech and the morning of, and how he was, uh, he had his notes, but they had hand scribbles all over it, and he was advised by his advisors uh, not to use the I have a dream portion, because they didn't want it to seem like that was his only message. He had just delivered a speech in Detroit, and he had used the I have a dream portion as a part of that, and they said, you know what, you need to have a better, a different message when you go speak before the 250,000 people who were gathered there. And so he, he wasn't planning on it. Uh, but he did have it written in his notes, just in case there was a leading that he could do it. And so he was speaker number 16 that day. It was 87 degrees in the heat. 250,000 people started. By the time he got up to speak, they say there were a lot less than that because of just attrition of the day. And that he started into his speech, and it was just the speech, and it wasn't moving the people. It wasn't inspiring them. And Mahalia Jackson, who had sung that day, was on the stage. And at a certain point, she said, use the dream speech. And he 
heard her, but he didn't change. He goes, use the I have a dream part. And he engaged, put his notes aside, and then he delivered what is the most, one of the most famous speeches in our history as a nation. I have a dream. And I'm just thinking about that. I was thinking about what would you be thinking today if you were thinking about having a dream? I, I think that as we look at our nation and we look at our world and uh, we look at our community, is that I believe that he would still say, we still have a ways to go. And some would say, we have a long ways to go before there's justice, before there's love, before there's compassion, before there's fairness, before all people are seen as created equal, one blood runs through all of us. I think he would say that we need to stand up and we still need to fight for racial equality. It's just something that many of us don't understand until you start digging in and reading and you find out and you discover how people of other races are treated right here in Nevada County. You would think that that's not true, but it's true right here discriminated against, spoken against. I also think that he would be willing to say, I have a dream that all people have a home. Now, how far does that go? That all people have a home. All people are cared for. We have a nation of wealth and plenty. He would say all people need to have a meal to eat. I think that he would do something like what's going to happen in just a couple, well, tomorrow, actually, downtown, that we're having Love March Part 2, Walk of Love Part 2, and in our newspaper yesterday, The Union, the headline was, We Can Do Better. You know what? We've come a long ways, but I think the message would be, we can do better. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about how you and I can do better in our world to be able to love people and to show love. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some verses from 1 Corinthians 13. And that we're in these verses, I believe what you're going to see, this is what I saw, is that God has called us to bridge the divides. We divide by race. We divide by uh, socioeconomic standing. We divide by education. Uh, we divide by occupation. Uh, we divide by nationality. And, and I would say that there's so many divides, there's so many walls built between us to protect what we have. And what he would say is that 1 Corinthians 13 is going to say, we must bridge the divide. And the way we bridge the divide is not to create more barriers or walls. The way we bridge the divide is by loving everyone always. Everyone, whether we agree with them or not, whether we like them or not, whether we're attracted to them or not, let love everyone always. So I want to jump in now with the verse that Mark read just a moment ago to us from 1 Corinthians 12, and this is the bookend. So 1231b and 141a, and then 1 Corinthians 13 is right and smack dab in the middle. But these are on either side to bookend 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Paul says, let me show you a way of life that is best of all, the best way to live. And then at the end, he says, let love, let what I've described for you, be your what? 
highest goal. Highest goal. Not one of your goals, but let it be your highest goal. Uh, This echoes the words that Jesus spoke when he was asked by a very religious person, Jesus, tell us, what what is God's opinion of the highest goal? Or what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, here it is. It would be that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then it would be, secondly, that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's highest goal for you. That you would be a person of love. You would be known by love. You would exhibit love. You would carry love everywhere you go. So for the next few minutes, I just want to talk about what radical love is not and what radical love is. We'll begin with what radical love is not because that's how Paul begins 1 Corinthians 13. So here it is. Radical love is more than what I do. Radical love is more than what I do. Radical love is not measured by what I do. In the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul makes a list of talents or gifts or skills uh, that we might be used as markers to say that we are God's people, that we are looked upon with favor by God because these are the things that we do. And you can measure it. You can see it. You can experience it. You can know it. He says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, the idea here, resounding gong and clanging clanging cymbal, the idea here is that the pagan religious people, in order to get their God's attention, would actually march with gongs and cymbals, and they would be clanging, 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 and gong and gong and gong with hopes that they would get their God's attention and their God would see them and see what links they would go to to show him their love. Paul says, if you, if you speak in the tongue of men or angels but you don't have love, you're as empty as those who are following a false religion. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, <coughs> I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul is addressing the typical problem that we have that I was addressing earlier when I talked about the resolution approach to spiritual growth and development. He's addressing that whole issue here. And the issue is this, is that when we believe that what we do on the outside shows who we are on the inside, that we're headed for disaster. If we make our judgments of other people by what we see on the outside, not as what is on the inside, that we're heading for disaster. And what happens is, is that you see this, and especially I'm seeing this a lot with uh, pastors who are falling right now from grace, from favor, moral failure, lack of uh, correct management principles. I'm just seeing this a lot, pastors falling. And we're talking guys that you would look at and women that you would look at and you'd say, whoa, they are, I want to be like that person. And we look at the gifts and we think the gifts equal what's in the heart. But it doesn't. The heart is the most important part. We put people on a pedestal based on what they do. But in these verses, what we, we see that what we do is less important than who we are. So he gives us this whole list. He says speaking in tongues. And he didn't describe what that means, so I don't have to either. 
Basically, it means speaking in languages that not, are not your own that other people can understand. He says that you also, maybe you have, you have this. You can get hidden secrets or special knowledge or revelation from God. But you know what? If you don't have love, it's meaningless. Or maybe you're someone who shows generosity and compassion. And so everywhere you go, you're, you're dropping hints of how you've helped other people. And you just are feeling so... He said you boast about it. You feel so good about yourself. And he says, without love, it's nothing. He says, you can do all of that and still not be doing it from love. It's possible to look super spiritual. It's possible to have a successful ministry and still not being for Jesus, doing it for Jesus. In fact, in the Bible, Jesus says that there are those who are speaking for me that people are following and they don't even know me. It's possible not even to know Jesus and to speak for him. We have to be wary of those who have gifts, and we think that because they have gifts, that the outside equals the inside. The inside is the most important. So it's not what I do, it's who I am. So that's the second thing on, your, on the back side of your notes. Radical love is expressed through who I am. Now, we're going to read the verses here that most of you associate with tuxedos and dresses that you never wore again. <laughs> so we hear these words read at weddings, and I read these at almost every wedding I perform, and so it's, a, it's very meaningful, and I love to do it. And then, you know, often we're reading them to say, here's how love acts, here's how love responds, but there's something much deeper in this than just duty, okay? This is not about duty. When we come to understanding this. So here's what Paul writes. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So he's not necessarily giving us a list, but... You'd look at this, and these are traits that you would want to emulate. But he's not necessarily giving a list of duties. What he's doing here is describing, here's what a person who loves is like. Here's what a person who loves is like. Love is this. And so he's actually personifying love. He's giving it characteristics of a human being. The prospect of here's who a loving person is. So just going to walk through this list just for a second. So he said, do you want to know what a loving, people, a loving person is like? Well, first of all, he says loving people are patient, and they're not short-fused. Uh, they realize that they're not the only persons in the universe, uh, and that they give other people space so they can also receive grace. So they're patient. They're kind. They look out for the interest of others. They don't envy. They are content to let you have more than they have without you wanting what they have. They're not full of pride. They're not always boasting or focusing on their own accomplishments. They don't verbally tear others down with their words or through their social media posts. Loving people aren't self-seeking, but they look for what they can do to show that others are more important. They aren't easily angered. They give people the benefit of the doubt. They never celebrate when evil is done to someone else. They want to protect those who are weak and overlooked. They trust others, and they give them the benefit of the doubt. They hold on to hope. 
So loving people hold on to this idea that we would go back to the speech of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., loving people live with an I have a dream kind of optimism. I have a dream kind of optimism. And they believe, loving people believe, that love will always prevail. Love will always prevail. That love is always the best approach. That loving others is always the best way to live. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7 in what we call the golden rule. He says, And everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So this, everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he's saying. He says, this, If you give others what you want yourself, you will be blessed. If you give others what you want yourself, you will be blessed. That's the golden rule. If you do for others what you would want done for you, <coughs> you will succeed. You will be blessed. Now, one of the books that influenced me as I've studied, I don't know, do you guys ever feel like there's not enough time to read? Oh, my goodness. So I bought some more new books about Dr. Martin Luther King for this, just for today. And one of the books that influenced me uh, is called Death of a King. And Death of a King is written about the last year of his life. The last year of his life. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King didn't know that this was going to be the last year of his life, but it was the last year of his life. And the author talks about how he went through um, a personal spiritual revival during this period of time. He became heavily influenced by a set of Bible verses that you would find in the New Testament. And these, these verses became his theme verses as he was experiencing this spiritual renewal and spiritual revival, and he was feeling the dreams fire getting more intense with inside himself. Every morning he would recite these verses as a way to calibrate his heart for the day. It's not going to surprise you. If you've been around here the last several years, you are going to know that the verses are Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me read those. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he would read these every day to calibrate himself, to say, love is this. This is the way I will respond. This is the way I will act. This is the way I will treat other people would be through me asking God to empower me by the, his Holy Spirit inside of me, by Jesus living inside of me, that this is what comes out of me. That this is what comes out of me. That this is who I'd be. See, he knew that if he was going to make a difference in the minds of thinking people, it wouldn't happen so much by what he did or necessarily by what he said, but instead by who he was. As people watched him, as people looked at his life as people scrutinized him. So he told his associates that, you know what? It's easy for us to fight for the right thing. You can get people who are willing to fight. It's easy for us to believe the right thing because this is the right thing that we're talking about and we're doing. We can get people to do the right thing and we can do it all with the wrong attitude and we'll fail because the attitude is the most important. And so 
the attitude is, is that we will be loving and kind to everyone we meet. And so he started seeing that in himself. And he, then he made love his highest goal, his primary goal. He, be, he lived by this principle. Become the kind of person who lives in such a manner that you are living proof of a loving God. Be kind, become the kind of person who lives in such a manner that you are living proof of a loving God. That's our job description. The kind of person who is living proof that you that there is a loving God by looking at you and the way that you live life. So love is who I am. And then the third thing is radical love is learned from who I know. It's learned from who I know. So biblical love is personified by Paul. So it has human characteristics and it's actually a person. So every time that he says love is in 1 Corinthians 13, well, all we have to do is we have to change it from love is to Jesus is. Because the list of 1 Corinthians 13 are the attributes and characteristics of Jesus Christ. So we have to learn to be with the one who is like love. We have to learn to be with Jesus. This is what Ephesians 5 from the message paraphrase says. It says, keep company with him and learn a life of love. So just stop a minute there. So when I talk about this and I say, here's, here's why we do this here. Here's why we do this here. It's so that we can help all of us, and me included, all of us walk with Jesus. All of us be able to learn how to keep company with him. All of us to be able to learn from him a life of love. And then it says this, observe how Christ loved us. It's like everything, right? He gave everything. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then it says this, love like that. So we learn to love like that when we learn to be with, when we're with the one who loved like that, and we learn from him, being an intimate relationship with him. And the goal is, of the things that we do, that we say, why do we do that? The goal is, is that as I do this, I'm going to get to know Jesus better and better, better and better, better and better. So we're talking about spiritual formation we're talking about growing spiritually, as some people might say. And I would just say spiritual growth and spiritual formation is not a set of formulas to follow. And that's where I think that church, and I would say Twin Cities Church, has been guilty itself of being saying, no, if you'll just do this, you know, here are the steps, here are the levels, here's the things. If you just do this, that you'll, you'll be able to then experience God. But what we're doing is we're making the doing the measurable part and not the changed heart, the measurable part. And we want to be able to say, as you do this, you need to learn to engage with Jesus. So when I, and I talk to you about, you know, I pray, I go down the road and I'm praying um, every, every day. And I was thinking about this, and I was driving down Dog Bar Road the other day because I've lived in the same house for 27 years. And I've driven down Dog Bar Road multiple times. And so, but the beginning of every day, the first trip is I pray the Lord's Prayer every time, every time. And so when I say, my Father who is in heaven, at that moment, what I do is I say, and with me right now, and I take my eyes off the road. I'm not texting. I take my eyes off the road, and I 
touch my car seat. And, you know, in the winter it's cold, in the summer it's hot. Uh, but yet it's, and I look there and I, I acknowledge that Jesus and I are driving down the road together. So see, when we learn to acknowledge that we're doing it with Jesus, then we learn to experience Jesus as we do what we're doing. But if it's simply that someone will be pleased with me, or if it's simply because uh, somebody at church told me if I do this that they'd like me, or someone are going to look at me and think, you know, I'm going to be able to get ahead in some way, then we are selling ourselves short, and we're going to end up empty in the long long run. So here's a quote from Scott Sauls. This is, I'm just trying to figure this guy out a little bit. I bought a couple of his books uh, at the end of the week that I plan on reading, Uh, But I love this quote so much that I thought I want to read more of what he has to say. And he says this, we must preoccupy ourselves less with trying to be like Jesus, (laughs) right? So we say, be like Jesus. What would Jesus do, right? You heard that? What would Jesus do? So we have to, less with trying to be like Jesus and more with simply being with him. For when we've been with him, we will become like him. See, when we're with him, we become like him. And so when Paul's writing 1 Corinthians 13, he didn't say, I want you to do these things so that you show everybody that you are more loving in all of these ways. Instead, he says, here's what love is. Here's what love is. Here's who Jesus is. Are you becoming more like that? Are you becoming more like him? Jesus is love. See, folks, before love can become an action or a behavior, love must first be be experienced or known. Before it can become an action, it has to be experienced or known. You must meet the relentless love of God before you can love. You must experience his love personally before you can love personally. You must receive his love before you can actually give love. And so Paul is saying the way to become more loving, the way to make a difference in this world, the way, to live, the way to live out a dream is to live out the I have a dream life and optimism with Jesus. It's a with God, with Jesus life where I'm following him and knowing him. And when we meet Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who knows best what it is like to love, we will know what it means to be loved as well. Only God alone can give us this kind of love. Only God alone can lead you to make a choice to love somebody who does not appeal to you. Love like we're talking about requires supernatural ability, not being done in my natural self. It can only come as you're learned to be loved by God and that love is allowed to penetrate into your soul and to change you at a cellular soul level. And then as I'm changed, then what comes out of me is less of me and more of him. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. And we're going to hear this really cool song. And the song is talking about the call to love those who are different than us, the call to be his agents of love in this world. I don't know about you. I like to tell the truth, but the truth seems to change every Tuesday. 
When I watch the news, man, it just gives me the blues. No one listens, just on a mission to hear their own voice. It's a wild world, we're all trying to find our place in it. It's a wild world and no one seems to understand it. It's a wild world, but there ain't no way I'm gonna quit it. Love is all we've got to give away. Some folks ain't got a dollar to their name. Others got their own jet planes. We all have the same blood running through our veins. Whether or not you pray, black or white, straight or gay, we still deserve the love of your neighbor. It's a wild world, we're all trying to find our place in it. It's a wild world and no one seems to understand it. It's a wild world, but there ain't no way I'm gonna quit it. Love is all we've got to give away. Try a little tenderness, maybe some benefit of the doubt. Another person's point of view, try to listen and not to shout. Hold your opinions loosely, maybe you're not always right. Show a little mercy, hold on to love real tight. It's a wild world, we're all trying to find our place in it. It's a wild world and no one seems to understand it. It's a wild world, but there ain't no way I'm gonna quit it. Love is all we've got to give away. Love is all I've got to give away. Love is all we've got to give away. I want to invite you to pray with me now. Because God, as we come before you, and if love's all we have to give away, we realize then that love's all we need. And Lord, we want more of that love. We want more to experience more of you. And so my prayer would be for us that we would get to know you, Jesus, the author of love, the one who is love, the one who showed what love is by the way that you lived and how you brought incarnated love to our world in the flesh so that we could actually see it, see what heavenly love is. And that you would want to, you want to plant that in us, and so I pray that you would you would help us, Jesus, that we would be uh, people who want to take love wherever we go, but that means taking you wherever we go. So it's really about our relationship with you, and 
I just want to pray now, as I said earlier, there are people who have never said yes to you in this room. I want to give them a chance that Jesus loves you. God wants to be in relationship with you. He's not wanting you to uh, keep a bunch of rules or to become religious. He's not mad at you. He loves you. And he wants to show you that love and mercy and grace. And the primary way that we can see that is the cross and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He died to pay the penalty we couldn't pay that was beyond us being able to pay. And that he wants us then to receive, just receive his love. Not to earn it, not to strive for it, to become something I'm not. He accepts me just like I am. He accepts you just like you are. And so if you just say to Jesus, like, Jesus, I come to you now. I have sinned. And I ask you today, as you accept me like I am, I ask you that I would receive your love, that I would know you, and that you would plant your Holy Spirit in me, and I would become the kind of lover that you made me to be, who you made me to become. And I pray that for all of us, God. As I look around the room, there are people here who have disappointments, who have griefs, who have sadnesses, who have resentments, who have guilt. And I pray that you would help us to release those. I pray that especially when it comes to the golden rule, that we would treat others as we want to be treated ourselves. That we would be willing to give. In the area of justice, I pray that you would give us passion that we would be able to live in a way that uh, would fight for those who are oppressed and under-resourced in our nation and our land, and that you would show us the way that we might do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.